Hey girlies, and welcome back to the pod. Today we have a super special Q&A episode with Sadie from She Persisted. Sadie hosts the She Persisted podcast, which is a podcast specifically focused on teen mental health. And Sadie is someone who has struggled with her mental health in the past and now shares her tips online to help you as well. She is currently studying psychology at the University of Pennsylvania. And if you want to hear more of me and Sadie together, you can check out my episode on She Persisted, which will be, of course, linked in the description of this episode. Welcome, Sadie. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yay! Okay. So a few days ago, I posted a Q&A on my stories asking y'all to send in some of your mental health questions. So everything about how to manage anxiety with schoolwork, dealing with um, the impact of social media, and just mental health in general and what types of resources you can find online or in person. So my first question, since we are getting into the back-to-school season Sadie, what are your tips for managing um, back-to-school anxiety? So there's so many different things that I can mention here. Um, I think it kind of depends on if you're anxious about, like, leading up to the first day of school. Are you anxious even after that point with meeting new people? Um, Are you feeling stressed about, like, your class load and assignments and all of that kind of stuff? I would say the biggest tip with anxiety is to not avoid what you're anxious about. The more you avoid, um, like, the first day of school or talking to new people or working on your homework, the more anxious you will become about that thing. So when I did intensive treatment for depression and anxiety, which I'm sure we'll dive into more at some point, there is this thing called exposure therapy. And the idea is that you, like, slowly expose yourself to things that make you anxious, but it's like a hierarchy. So if you're scared of flying, you would start by first like imagining you're going through the airport, you're getting on the plane, your plane is taking off, you're landing. And then you would maybe watch a video of someone like walking through the airport, doing all of those things. Maybe you would pack your bag. Maybe you would drive to the airport. Um, And you're slowly building yourself up to actually flying and being on a plane and feeling those feelings of anxiety but you're coping with them in a healthy, effective way. So you're doing your deep breathing, you're distracting yourself, you're watching a movie, you're talking to someone, you're using all these skills that help decrease the anxiety. So then when you do the actual thing, which is flying, you're not overwhelmed by anxiety. You're like, I've done this before. I know I can cope with this. I know these skills that work. And because you've like built your way up to the stressor of flying, it's not like going from zero to 100. You're more like going from like 80 to 100. So for school, I would say a similar thing, Um, especially for college students, start introducing yourself via like DMs or if you're starting at a new high school, this is another really good tip. Like follow people from your school, start having little conversations being like, oh, like, what are you interested in? What clubs are you joining? If it's college, like, are you going to rush? Are you on a team? Are you joining any clubs? Where are you living? Um, And start introducing yourself and making friends in that way. Maybe you start planning out your semester with your classes and your homework and your readings, doing these little things that you would do at the beginning of the school year and like building up to that anxiety. Um, I think there's also something to be said for coping ahead. So this is a skill from something called dialectical behavioral therapy or DBT, um, which is my favorite thing. That was like the biggest game changer in my mental health journey. But the idea is that you think 
about like the worst case scenario or what's going to happen. So if you're anxious about the first day of school, you would plan out like the who, what, when, where, why, and you kind of think about like the general what's going to happen. Like you go into your first class, you maybe say hi to some people, and then the class starts. But you'd also maybe do your worst case scenario. Like I fall downstairs in the middle of the school and everyone's watching and it's so embarrassing and I don't know what to do and I'm so anxious. And you think about what thoughts would come up, what emotions would come up, and what skills would I use. So if you are anxious about going and opening the door to the classroom, which is something I totally experienced so many times, or just like sit outside for an extra like 30 seconds, like, okay, I can do this, like, especially if I was late for a class. Um, and would you use deep breathing? Would you picture it going well? Would you look around you and do like five things you can touch, four things you can hear, three things you can smell, two things you can taste, one thing, I'm missing a sense, but you know that you know the skill. Um, what skills are going to use that are going to be effective for you? Is it drinking water? Is it asking for help? Um, and cope through that worst case scenario. And then once you are in the actual situation, you know exactly what skills to use, what skills will be helpful. You practice them beforehand. I think one of the biggest things with mental health is learning the skills before you actually need them. So learning how to cope with anxiety on a smaller scale. So if you ever have a panic attack or if you're ever super stressed and burnt out, you know how to do deep breathing. You know how to ask for help. You know how to distract yourself with music or a hot shower or put ice under your eyes to calm yourself down um, rather than being in that anxious state and being like, I've never experienced this before. I have no idea what to do and having that like burden and hurdle on top of the being anxious. So coping ahead is another great thing. I think there's something to be said for just, I mean, it's, you're probably like, is that really going to work? But kind of not thinking about it and just going for it. Like, yes, doing some planning with like this, these are the skills I can use. This is how I can feel less anxious. But I like once you're in the moment, just go for it. Introduce yourself, say hi to people, start the conversation, go into the classroom, um, go to school, open the door, all of these things without like getting stuck in the rumination beforehand and what's going to happen how would people respond because a lot of the times we kind of blow these things up in our head we over catastrophize and it's probably not going to pan out like that it probably will be normal you'll be able to handle the emotions um and i think it's always important to remember that everyone else is thinking the exact same thing as you everyone else is nervous about the new situation or meeting new people or being judged and so people are probably thinking more about themselves than they are about you. Um, and then the last thing that I'll mention here is just for general anxiety, especially in the beginning of the school year and, and throughout, is to decrease your emotional vulnerability. So emotional vulnerability is how vulnerable you are to feeling more anxious or feeling more stressed. It's like your baseline of functioning. So if you aren't sleeping well, if you haven't exercised or been outside and you don't have any friends that you're talking to, you don't have a support system, you'll be really vulnerable to feeling stressed and overwhelmed and anxious and depressed. Whereas if you give yourself a baseline where you feel like you can cope with these things, so you have a great support system, you frequently hang out with your friends, you have as good as possible relationship with your family members, you are exercising regularly for endorphins, you're getting outside for vitamin D, you're eating balanced, you are handling emotions as they rise rather than avoiding them, you're asking for help when you need it, you're going to be much more effective and kind of consistent in coping with these emotional 
um, challenges as they arise, and you're less likely to be completely derailed by them. So that means um, in a school sense, like consistently practicing self-care, making sure that you're getting enough sleep every night, making sure that you aren't putting too much on your plate and you're not getting super burnt out, um, balancing things with like doing your assignments throughout the week rather than like cramming for a test because that's going to be so stressful and overwhelming. So balance is really a big thing. Um, but yeah, kind of to re- recap that, I think exposure therapy to what you're anxious about, build yourself up to the stressor, cope ahead, think about how you're going to cope with the situation and get super detailed there, make a plan. Once you're in the situation, just go for it. It's going to be okay. I promise. And if it's not, you know how to cope with it. And then decrease your emotional vulnerabilities. So the week before, get enough sleep. Set out your outfit if that's helpful for you. Think about what's going to be in your backpack. All these little things that will decrease your stress and decrease the, the chance that you're going to be overwhelmed by the anxiety um, will be really helpful. Yeah, those are all really great tips. I think what helps me the most, kind of something you mentioned, was preparing in advance. So like making sure I'm organized just so that if I am going to be anxious about something, I'll just have like less things to be worrying about as well um, and less things to be focusing on. The sponsor of this episode is Athletic Greens. I started taking AG1 because I hated taking a bunch of pills and vitamins to improve my health, and I wanted a supplement that actually tasted great. So what is this stuff? With one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day off right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, immune system, energy, recovery, focus, and aging. Literally everything. AG1 is a lifestyle friendly, meaning whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, you can still try it out. AG1 also improves your sleep quality and recovery along with mental clarity and alertness. It is also extremely affordable. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash emerging. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash emerging to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And as always, that will be linked in the description of this episode. But also going off something that you mentioned, you talked about support systems, um, What do you think is the importance of having a support system in college or even just like going away from home? Like, how did that help you with your transition? Yeah, so I mean, as humans, we're wired for connection. If we think like way back to caveman days, humans are not very strong. We're not very good at fighting things. So if you weren't in a big group, 
you weren't going to survive. And so we are wired to need relationships, to need connection. Um, it's something that for millions of years, how long have humans been alive? Clearly, I'm not a science major. Um, it's, it's what's kept us alive. It's what's kept us thriving. So we have an innate need to be connected, to get our needs met. And so that's just a basic thing to know. No one cannot have relationships. We all need them on an emotional and at some points in our history, a physical level. So going to college, you're in a really unique position because you are going into this new environment that your friends from home, your parents, your classmates, your teachers, whoever your support system is, they're not there with you. So they're not understanding that the first day of school was so stressful or this professor did this crazy thing in class. You have this giant midterm paper that's already coming up the first week of school, not the first week, maybe the first month. Um, but you're kind of unique because you're in this situation by yourself and your support system has almost been left behind. Um, and while being aware of that, that doesn't change that your support system still wants to be there for you. They still want to support you. They're still there to listen and offer support and advice and um, talk on the phone whenever you want to. So I think that's something important to remember that I kind of forgot about during the first couple of months of college that like, while my friends are at a different college in different places all over the country and my parents are at home and my siblings are still in high school, there still is that foundation of the relationship and that emotional intimacy, that support, that connection where they want, they're, they're in your corner, they're cheering you on. So I found it really effective to kind of schedule out when I would call people and not like, okay, every five o'clock, 5 p.m. every Wednesday, I'm going to call like my grandparents. But I found that if I held myself accountable to some degree of like, I'm going to talk to my parents twice a week and I'm going to talk, FaceTime my friends once a week, it allowed me to stay connected and feel supported and not like forget to do that. And I know you're like, how could I forget to call my friends and family? But you're so consumed and overwhelmed with what's right in front of you, which is meeting new people and going to parties and going to classes and being stressed about your homework, that you almost forget to maintain these other relationships. But these relationships can be so effective in helping you feel supported and validated and more motivated and energized with the challenges that are right in front of you, which is meeting new people, getting on top of your academics um, and staying on top of all of that stress and just being in a new environment and having that transition. So give yourself a schedule, almost just like a preventative step. Like if I start struggling with my mental health, if I start feeling alone and overwhelmed, I know that I talk to my loved ones, whether that's friends, family, anyone, um, three times a week. And I have these calls to feel supported. And that's a, that's a given. I think another important thing um, for me was having a therapist during the transition to college. Therapy is something I've been doing for probably five or six years now. I started therapy before I started I'm struggling with depression and anxiety, and I've done every kind of therapy you can imagine, whether it was like hospitalizations, intensive DBT, outpatient CBT, family therapy, group therapy, all of the different things. And it's been so helpful in college to have someone kind of give more professional insight on what is important to me. So some weeks it's like, I really feel like I just need to be more consistent with my exercise routine because I'm just feeling... Like, that would be a really helpful outlet for me. Or my sleep is a disaster. How can I get on a better sleep schedule? Or I want to start 
meeting new people, but I'm really anxious about it. So how can I hold myself accountable to introducing myself and going out and meeting people for coffee? Um, another thing as well is having a, a therapist or a professional to navigate for me, it was like roommate issues, um, navigate like conflicts that I was having, or if there's a friend I wasn't getting along with, having someone to help me be effective through that, like, okay, what's your objective here, Sadie? Do you want to repair the relationship with your roommate? Do you want to set a boundary? Do you want to express what you're feeling and getting that clarity and professional support? And it's also someone that's like keeping tabs on your mental health. A lot of the times when we start struggling, you don't even notice. Like, you're like, okay, maybe I'm sleeping a little bit less or a little bit more. Maybe I'm feeling a little bit less motivated to do my assignments. Maybe I'm spending more time scrolling on TikTok. But having a therapist allows you to have someone that has the awareness of what the warning signs are, what are the red flags, and they can A, help you recognize them, and B, make choices that will kind of reduce the, the impact of those warning signs or those symptoms. Um, and there's tons of different ways you can get that mental health support. You can either find a therapist in your area. Um, and that's another thing that's important to remember is if you have a therapist at home, if you're moving states for college, you can't always meet with the same therapist based on like the licensing rules. So that's something I didn't even realize, but you have to deal with. Um, so you can find a therapist with, within your area that's covered by your insurance. There are therapists at almost every single college in the health center or in the mental health center. Um, and sometimes they do have long wait lists, so it does kind of depend. Um, there are a lot of the times like student support programs. So I think ours is called CAPS. I might be like counseling and psychological services is where there's most counseling stuff. But there's also like peer-to-peer support like calls. So if you're like, I really just need someone to talk to. I'm feeling so overwhelmed. You sign up for this. There are peers or students at your school that have been trained to deal with mental health challenges and be a good listener and give advice you hop on a call with them and that can be really helpful um and then there's also of course like emergency services so if you really need support there's always hotlines that you can call um they just changed the suicide hotline to 988 so instead of calling the 1-800-273 number, you just call 988 in the case of um, an emergency. So if you're struggling with suicidal ideation, that is a great resource. But a lot of these things are, are really readily accessible. And especially if you haven't struggled with your mental health before, these are great as preventative measures. Just to have someone that's in your corner if you need it. To have someone that's helping you stay on top of things like your schedule and burnout and stress and relationships. Um, and I think another important thing that I'll end with is it's so important to give yourself grace. You probably had a really great community in high school of teachers and parents and siblings and friends that were in your corner and supporting you and you saw them every single day. You're now probably at a brand new school and a brand new place with people you don't know. And that support system isn't going to get built overnight. So give yourself grace there. Understand that it takes time to build these relationships and to feel seen and heard um, and feel comfortable going to these people when you need their support. And that's why it's great to have those scheduled family and friends calls, because you can be on that support system while you're building your new one. And everything takes time. I think, especially once you're on campus, you're going to be like, it seems like everyone gets this thing that is college. Everyone has friends and is on top of their classes and no one is. <laughs> like everyone's just doing the exact same thing that you are. Everyone is trying to just do this day by day. Talk to people about that. They're 100% going to relate to you. And that can be a great way to start a relationship. 
yeah, that was a lot of different advice. Um, but the support systems are huge. We need them. And especially as a preventative measure before you're in crisis mode, I highly recommend keeping tabs on your relationships, who you would lean on for support, and continuing to maintain those relationships. Yeah, that's great. I think it's really hard sometimes to realize the importance of relationships and even realizing that you already have some pretty great ones. And I think you realize the importance of that when you're struggling. So like you were saying, taking like preventative measures and like making the schedule of keeping yourself accountable and reaching out to people, even if you aren't going to college this fall, even if you aren't going home, just being able to reach out to your friends and also make plans with them, I think is important. Um, so one of the questions that someone sent in was kind of related to this. So like what you were saying, like having these relationships, interacting with people is so important, but often if you're struggling with your mental health, depression, anxiety, it can be difficult to manage a social life. So what are your tips for managing a social life if you're struggling with depression? Yeah, so it's hard. I think one of the important things to be, I don't know if educated is the right word, but aware of is the emotional urges that are associated with depression are the things that won't help you. It's to withdraw, it's to isolate, it's to stay in your head, it's to stay in bed. Um, it's to continue that like low mood, to not do things that you enjoy and that make you happy and help you feel more motivated. It's a lot of things that would help you. Like if you get out of bed, if you go and talk to someone, if you engage in your community, if you if you love academics, if you go to class and take copious notes, or if you love sports, if you go and play like basketball with a friend, or if you love working out, go and run on the treadmill lift weights, all of those things will help and are proven to help. But your depression is probably telling you the the opposite. And similar things with anxiety, which I think are the, the two most common things that people struggle with. If you are anxious, your anxiety is going to tell you to avoid. And like we mentioned with the first question, when you avoid things you're anxious about, you get more and more and more anxious. And it's like a never ending loop. So whenever I am struggling with a like a depressed day or an anxious day, I try and do the opposite of what that emotion is telling me to do. So I'll get out of bed, I'll make my bed a rarity, but I'll, I'll try and do it anyways. I'll listen to music that makes me happy or I'll watch like a comfort show. So like The Office or Big Bang Theory are two of my favorites. I will try and either call someone that um, I like lean on that home support system or try and meet one of your friends at school. So like coffee, are you going to study together? Um, go to class, do things to get yourself out of those depressive or anxious urges to the opposite of what you're feeling. And it will take time, I think, especially if you are really struggling with depression, you're really struggling with anxiety, and that's impacted your social life. So say you've been isolating for weeks at this point, and you're like, I, I don't have any friends, I don't feel like anyone gets me or knows me, you're gonna have to work up to the point where you can just do the opposite of what you're feeling. So maybe it is getting the number of someone in your class. Maybe it's asking someone to coffee. Maybe it's, again, scheduling those calls with your loved ones and slowly getting to the point where you have that community. Um, but I I don't know which book it was that I read this or which podcast I, I, I heard it in, but a lot of the uh, 
many people have said like the opposite of mental health challenges. I think another common one is like the opposite of addiction is connection. So these things really do cause us to withdraw and isolate and being connected and having an active social life, whether that's with family members or loved ones or friends, can be really effective at not only helping almost heal those symptoms that you're experiencing because you have an increase in mood, you feel validated and seen, um, but also preventing those emotions and feelings in the future. So it's something that will be helpful is what I'm trying to say here. It's necessary. I know that you're probably like, well, I can probably handle this myself or I don't need friends to pull me up out of this rock bottom. Like they won't do that. Like that shouldn't be the job of your friends, but everyone needs relationships in their life. And so baby steps and remembering to do the opposite of what those those emotions are telling you to do will be really effective. And this is another way that having a, a therapist or therapy can be helpful because they'll help hold you accountable. They'll give you a really measurable goal of like, okay, this week you're going to hang out with three people or this week you're going to have two calls with your loved ones um, and, and continue to check in on that and see how it's impacting your mood. I think that's, I honestly never really thought about that like doing the opposite but that's really interesting and I can see how that would be super helpful on the other side of things let's say um you have a friend who you know is struggling with their mental health what would you suggest you can do to help them or even just to be there for them or um I guess just be a good friend to someone who is struggling so there's so many things. I think the first thing that I would say is that you have to take care of your own mental health before you help anyone else. There's this like really common therapy thing where you're like, imagine when you're on a plane and they are telling you about wearing an oxygen mask. You always put the oxygen mask on yourself before your kid. And the reason is that if you put it on the kid first, sure, the kid's breathing, but then if you pass out, the kid's left there alone. There's two people that are struggling and not able to get out of the situation. Whereas if you put it on yourself first, even if the kid passes out, you can then put the oxygen mask on the kid and help get both of yourselves out of that situation. So same thing with mental health. If you are not having a good emotional baseline, which we talked about, if you are not taking enough time to get your emotional needs met, stay connected, feeling validated, feeling seen, feeling supported, feeling like you have enough interests in your life and relationships and all these things that are important for mental health, you're not going to be able to help anyone else. And it's also going to be a really negative experience to try and help them because it's going to bring up a lot of negative emotions in you. You might feel annoyed at the other person because you're like, whenever I'm around this person, like I just feel worse. You maybe will take on the emotional burden of them. There's so many different ways that that can happen. But the key is to make sure that you are in a place to support someone else first. That means like not taking on their mental health challenges. That means not like putting all of your worries or concerns aside to just listen to them. You want this to be a balanced relationship. So make sure that you are setting boundaries when you need to. Make sure that you are taking time to self-care. Make sure that you're feeling validated and seen in a relationship just like they are. All of these things. Um, and then when it comes to actually supporting someone, one of the things that was most helpful to me was having friends that I could go to and just know that I would feel good being around them. So we would watch a TV show we would love together. We would scroll on TikTok or we would just laugh or listen to music or 
something that would distract me from what I was feeling. And I didn't need them to be there as like my therapist and talk through everything I was experiencing. Of course, sometimes it's helpful to vent and complain and, and process, but really just being a person that your friend feels they can go to and feel some kind of emotional relief, feel like they can have a good time with you, spend time with you, laugh, enjoy, enjoy life. Um, is a great thing. And that's easy to do. You're probably already doing that in your relationship. So you don't need to put too much pressure on yourself. Just be there as someone that they, they care about and they know that they can rely on for for a healthy relationship. I think it's always great to like check in on your friends. Always just think, how are you doing? Making sure that you're being like, how are you feeling about this test that's coming up? Being aware of their mental health and just checking in on those things is very important. Same thing if like you know they're having a bad week. Send them a cute text, bring them a coffee, um, plan a study session, do things um, to, to help support them um, like you would want someone to do for you as well. I think other things that are really helpful to mention here is validation. Validation is the idea that you are like creating space for someone else's emotional experience. So if someone's like super angry at, I'm going to give a different example, actually. A good example of this is politics. If you have two people that are like on complete opposite sides of the spectrum, they're obviously not going to agree with each other, but they could get to a point where they're like, I really understand why you would believe that or why you feel that way or why you're scared of this thing happening and why you you hope for this to happen. And they can validate those emotions that are happening. They can create space for those emotions to be experienced. And you don't have to agree. You don't have to agree with the behaviors or what they think or feel, but you're, you are saying that, yeah, that's completely okay and understandable. And of course you feel that way. And of course you want this thing to happen. And so that is something that's really effective for people struggling with their mental health. A lot of the times they just want to feel seen and heard and understood and that someone notices that they're not okay. So validate your friends, be like, of course you're feeling that way. Of course it makes sense that you're frustrated at your parents or that you are so annoyed at your roommate or whatever it is creating space for those emotions is a really like tactile not tactile but a really specific thing you can do to support them um and yeah I I think being just a a good resource for them being someone that they can count on checking in on them asking if they're okay and then as a baseline to all of this making sure that you are in the space to be able to support them because if you're not, you're not going to be any good to them and it's also going to be harming your own mental health as well. For sure. And I think it was um, a really important distinction that you made that you don't have to be someone's therapist to be there for them. Like just being there as a friend is enough and often like people don't want you to be your therapist, but it's nice just to have like a person you can lean on or someone you can be with that makes you feel good about yourself or that can give you a break from, I guess, your negative thoughts that you might be having. And going along with that, um, someone asks, how can I work on letting go of people who make my mental health worse or who just make you feel like not your best self in general? This is a hard one because especially if you've had that relationship for a while, it can be really difficult to to separate yourself and set those boundaries. I think the first thing that I would do is do like a little pros and cons list. And in DBT, there's like a pretty extensive pros and cons list. There's four different boxes and it's like pros of staying in the relationship, cons of staying in the relationship, pros of leaving the relationship, cons of leaving the relationship. And write that down. It sounds like you would get to the conclusion that like the best most effective path forward for my mental health is to leave this relationship. 
But having that written down, getting really clear on why that is will be helpful when later on you're like, okay, I miss this person. I miss spending time with them. Was it really that bad? Like, am I sure that this was the right thing to do? So being really clear of like, this person made me feel really bad. This person took a toll on my mental health. I didn't like who I was around them. I felt exhausted. Getting really clear on that will be really helpful. Um, And after the fact, once you've set those boundaries of understanding why you did that and kind of sticking to your guns almost and being able to like give yourself some self-validation around why you made that decision. Um, Boundaries wise, there's different things you can do. If you're like, this person is not good for my mental health, there are so many different steps you can take. I think if you're going to college, um, just like slowly talk less, text less, all of these different things. I think if you're at a big school, it's super easy to start meeting new people hanging out with different people. Um, You're not obligated to spend every second of every day with anyone. There's no reason that you should feel like you should have to do that. And it's okay to choose to spend your time with other people. So try and throw yourself into other relationships because we need connection again. So if you're losing a big relationship in your life, it's important to supplement that. Make sure that you're giving yourself like a lot of grace. It's going to be difficult. So self-validation, like Of course, it makes sense that this is difficult and challenging, and this really sucks, and it's really overwhelming, and I wish this would have worked out, Um, and lots of self-care around that, Um, but I think that the biggest thing is, like, being really clear on why you're making this decision, supplementing the lack of the relationship with more relationships, meeting new people, throwing yourself into getting to know other people, and if they bring up, like, why aren't you spending time with me? I've noticed, like, you're not talking to me as much as you used to what's going on there's a lot of different ways that you can frame that if it's someone that like you had a history of like an extensive relationship with and you were really close maybe you do and you don't owe them an explanation but maybe you feel that it would be the nice thing to do or the effective thing to do or you wish that someone would give you an explanation if the tables were turned so maybe you say i feel like we've just grown a lot and I don't feel like our relationship feels the same as it used to and I I really just want to try and get to know new people and yeah just just try something else and I think in in no situation will be will be effective to like attack the other person and be like this is your fault you made me feel terrible so I'm making new friends but just frame it as like I I just want to try something different and I think that's okay and I feel like we've changed a lot and that's not bad but I also think it's important to just get to know new people that we haven't given a chance to before. Um, And if that's not something that the relationship necessitates, like if there's not a reason you give them an explanation, just be like, just brush it off. Be like, I mean, you haven't texted me either. So like, it's a two-way street. Um, And be like, well, I actually noticed that you weren't reaching out to me as much. I think that's another big thing. If it's like a one-way relationship, like you end this relationship because you're putting in all the work and the other friend isn't. Be like, well, actually, like, you haven't really texted me at all, so I just thought you didn't want to spend time with me either. Um, but again, trying to to avoid conflict would be would be the key there. There's no need to have it be a giant blow up of a, as a friendship. Try and end on like kind and mutual terms as much as possible, um, and and give yourself a lot of grace and validation because it's difficult to end any relationship, especially friendships. No, for sure, and I think especially it can be difficult like what you were saying if you've known this person for years and you've been going to school with them for years that can be difficult but also it's important to remember like friendships change people change like 
we're not you don't have to keep the same friendships just because you've known this person like your whole life if they're not being a good friend you really shouldn't like just make yourself stay in that relationship just because you can be like I've known them since I was three like if it's not benefiting you anymore or even if it's having an impact on the other person as well then it's like what's the point if like what you're saying the pros outweigh the cons of leaving the relationship yeah and obviously like one more thing you could try if you are the kind of person that doesn't like confrontation not saying like be a bad friend but be really uninteresting complain a lot don't laugh don't make jokes just kind of like be a really annoying to be around and hopefully they'll try and distance themselves as well um yeah so that's another thing you could try might work might not depending on the yeah. person but it's, it's always like having someone break up with you so you don't have to break up with them yeah exactly <laughs> it works with friends yeah. too <laughs> that's funny um okay so obviously back to schools coming up and with school comes a lot of stress new classes new teachers professors whatever so what tips do you have for dealing with burnout and stress related to school and what can people do to manage these feelings i feel like most of it is preventative um once you get you get to the point of burnout and like stress overload you're not going to be able to do much except for kind of pull back on your commitments and your ability to perform i think it's really important to remember here that what i really believe is that without your mental health you have nothing when i was in my freshman year of high school when i was like severely struggling with depression and anxiety and suicidal ideation I got to a point where I wasn't even able to show up for class. Like I had to take a medical leave of absence for a semester because I my mental health was falling apart. I wasn't able to engage in class or clubs or any of these commitments because my mental health was struggling to such an extreme degree. So if you're not maintaining your mental health, you won't even be able to show up for that test that's so important to you. Um, and that and that sucks. Like that's a really hard pill to swallow in some extent because it's easy to be like, well, my mental health is given. It'll be fine. I'll get through this. I just have to get through finals. I just have to get through this week of studying, and it'll be okay. But without that foundation of your mental health, you you have nothing. You won't have the motivation. You won't have the consistency. You won't have the energy. You won't have the drive. So your mental health has to be the foundation to allow you to show up in all these other ways. So the first thing that I would would say is have a routine that allows your baseline to kind of be improved. So a bedtime and morning routine that allows you to get enough sleep. Start your day off with things that boost your mood. Maybe it's listening to a song. Maybe it's having a certain TV show on in the background. Maybe you like to journal. Maybe you like to do meditation. Whatever. Maybe it's like for me, it's like drinking my favorite cup of iced coffee in the morning, having a breakfast that I really enjoy doing my skincare, doing my makeup, getting ready, picking out an outfit, all those things boost my mood. And then when I am at the end of the day, it's all things that also improve my mood, but also help me like rewind down and recharge and like almost recover from the day. So I love showering and like washing my hair and putting on my pajamas and reading a book before bed. And again, the skincare, favorite part. It's just so like calming and soothing. And it's a part of my day that I, I look forward to. And that's very relaxing and reinforcing. Um, maybe you watch TV before you go to bed. Whatever it is, having like these non-negotiables that improve your mood. And then in a bigger sense, I think in addition to just morning and night, having a weekly routine that reflects it as well. So 
especially if you're a college student and you're planning your schedule. Try and think about how you can balance out your classes. For me, I found it really helpful to do four days of classes a week. It's not always possible, but at Penn, there's many, not many classes on Friday. And if there is a class, it's like a math quiz. So try and find a balance that works well for you. For me, four days of classes, three days of socializing and studying and homework was really effective. So don't do seven classes on one day, zero on the next, maybe like two classes a day from like 10 to two, you're getting up, but you also aren't in class for seven hours, completely like a a zombie, barely able to take any information in. So plan your class schedule like that. Same thing with studying. Maybe you're going to do two hours at the library every day or every other day or however much you need to do. Space that out instead of spending six hours on Saturday night right before that essay is due. And that'll help decrease burnout because you're doing like smaller bits of work throughout the week. You can be consistent with that. You can still get your stuff done, but it's not emotionally, mentally, physically overwhelming. And in addition to like that academic part of your week, you want to schedule in other things that improve your mood and your, your baseline. So what clubs are you joining so that you can see your friends and get to know people? How often are you exercising or getting outside or are your meals scheduled in? That's another really important thing that college students almost forget sometimes. Like you've got to have your breakfast, lunch, and dinner and make sure you have time to eat and get snacks. Um, when are you spending time with your friends? When are you unplugging? I found that it was really helpful if like one day a week I was like, I'm just not going to think about anything school related. I will not be doing that assignments. I will not be doing that reading that's due next week. I'm just not going to think about that. And that's not something that everyone can do. But I feel like for for many people, depending on what school you're at, depending on what your major is, it's possible to be like, Fridays, I'm going to work a little bit more Wednesday, Thursday, and then Friday, I have this day to just relax and recharge. So it's all about creating a schedule that allows you to not feel burnout. You have like a balance of output academically, but also input, like energetically might not be the word, but like socially and and rest wise and self-care wise and activities that you enjoy calling your friends and family all of these kinds of things and then i had another thought and it just went out of my brain gonna remember it schedule wise oh and other things is kind of putting things in place to prevent you from getting stressed out and burnt out by putting too much on your plate so schedule out when am I going to start studying for a test like if you have a midterm put it on your calendar a week and a half before 10 days before start collecting study materials and yes it's difficult to hold yourself accountable to that there's been many times I put that on my calendar don't start studying until the night before and it's a disaster but try make the effort try and hold yourself accountable have friends that are also on the same study schedule do study groups so like we're going to show up at the library at 7 p.m tonight and if you don't show up you're leaving someone hanging so there's that like reinforcement and reason for you to be there um i think another good thing is like committing to i'm going to go to office hours as a preventative measure every two weeks and asking any questions that you have and making sure people understand the content um yeah all of these kinds of things that you can do to prevent yourself from cramming and trying to finish things up last minute and just having too much to do to where it's overwhelming and just having a routine that feels really good will be very effective in maintaining your mental health and not not putting too much on your plate. And then if you are feeling burnt out, if you're feeling stressed out, you kind of just have to accept like something's got to give here. Something has to change. 
I would hope that it wouldn't be your mental health. So am I going to get an extension on an assignment? Am I going to miss this reading? Because that's okay. You're not going to be able to do every single reading. Like I can promise you that. Are you going to turn in that assignment a day late? And it's, yeah, it's 10 points off, but that you can, your grade can deal with that. Um, are you going to not go out this weekend because you really do have a lot that needs to get done? You, you have to have some give somewhere and you have to adjust some things so that you'll be okay and ask for help. Talk to your professors. Be like, I know I did this to myself, but I'm so overwhelmed. I'm so stressed out. I don't know what to do. Can you help me think through this? Is there a way to get an extension? I feel like I'm not coming at this in the right way because it's just so difficult for me and it seems like other people, this is coming very easily to them. And I think, again, all of the your your peers, all of the other students are experiencing the same thing. You're all learning this new way of academics and school for the first time, and it is an adjustment. And of course, it's an adjustment. So talk about that. Compare tips about what works, what doesn't. I think just from a basic organization level, Google Calendar or Apple Calendar is a must. Like, you're not going to be able to show up for your classes if it's not on your calendar because they're in weird locations. They're in weird classrooms. You, like, you're going to have to map yourself the first day of school. Um, I think also planning out your assignments for the entire semester. That is unheard of in high school. You don't know what's due until, like, the night before. But in college, you'll get a syllabus with everything that's due for the next three months. So write down in your paper planner, write it down on Notion, on Asana, on your Google Calendar. These are the seven assignments that I have due this week. How can I spread this out and not do it all in one day? So plan, try and make things things balanced. And when you need to, unplug. Be like, yeah, I've been really trying to catch up on all this work. I was procrastinating, but it's 2 a.m. and I'm exhausted and I the work I'm doing is not good and you just kind of accept it. You go to bed and it's, it's going to be okay. All of this stuff is going to be okay. None of this is like life altering or life changing. It's it's a college class. It will be okay. And I think it's important to remember that while the stakes feel really high, it, you have so many years ahead of you and so many other things. Skipping this one assignment or forgetting to turn something in at the expense of your mental health is, is going to be fine. It's going to be okay in the long run. I totally agree. I definitely think for burnout and stress, like being or creating these preventative measures is so, so important, especially too, since school hasn't started yet, like you can put these in place, like you have the time. It's not really like you have excuses and it's not as hard as it is trying to figure this all out in the middle of the school year. And then one more thing there that I love what you just mentioned. There's the this book called Atomic Habits. I'm sure you've seen it on TikTok. It's good. I love it. And he talks about how when you're in a new environment, you're in a really unique position where it's very easy to start new habits, either bad ones like sleeping all day or good ones of having this foundation and schedule that makes you feel really good and helps prevent burnout. So you're moving into a dorm. This is the perfect opportunity even like prepping to like you move into the dorm you're like okay I'm gonna go on a walk every day or I'm gonna do my hot girl walk with my podcast every morning or I'm gonna walk with my friends or I'm gonna go get coffee um or I'm gonna this is my study spot and I'm gonna be here every night for 30 minutes whatever it is you are in a very unique position where you have the opportunity to make all these new habits that can be really effective so use that build healthy habits rather than ones that are not going to help you last question I have for you um, just, 
I guess, what is the biggest thing that you have done or that you have seen that improved your mental health or what was the most effective thing that you have done over the years to help you? I mean, nothing will be consistent and nothing will change unless you want it to. When I started intensive treatment, I went to a residential therapy program in right outside of Boston at McLean Hospital. One of the first things that they asked me was, do you want to be here? And I was like, no, I I don't want to be here. I've tried therapy before. This isn't going to work. I I meant to be depressed. I meant to struggle. And this is just things aren't going to change. And they just said in a very nice way, like, we understand that you don't think this is going to work. We get that you, you don't see this this being effective. But if you go through the motions, if you just check all these boxes, if you show up to therapy, but you don't believe it's going to work, if you don't want to change, nothing's going to happen. And so I had to cultivate some degree of self-compassion where I wanted to get better. And I had to trust logically that like this therapy is proven to work. So it's probably going to work for me. And then emotionally trust others to help me. So The biggest thing mental health wise, I would say, is that if you do not want to get better, if you do not want to see a shift, if you don't want things to change, it's not going to work. You're just going through the motions. That's the biggest thing is wanting to get better and being motivated. The other thing is the basics. It's making sure that you're getting enough sleep. It's making sure that you are eating well. It's making sure that you have healthy relationships. It's making sure that you're taking enough time to recharge and self-care and all of these things. So I would definitely say when in doubt, go back to the basics, ask for help when you need it, and consistency is key, like baby steps. So taking one step in the right direction every day, whether it's doing one journal or one deep breathing or one night routine or one calling your friend, these little steps, and over time they will add up, your mood will shift, it will be really effective. And these both work as a preventative measure and when you are struggling with your mental health. Amazing. Well, Sadie, thank you so much for coming on today. It was so great hearing from you. And I hope all these tips can help everybody who is listening to this episode. If you want to listen to She Persisted, you can look on any podcast platform and YouTube. Just search She Persisted. There are 110 episodes, so tons of content with everything from like anxiety to depression college, high school, all of the things. And I'm most active on Instagram and TikTok at at Podcast. And yeah, I'm so glad we got to do this. If you guys have any questions, always feel free to DM me. I'm happy to answer anything more specific. Yeah, thank you for having me.